0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. If you need a Bible, once you get your hand up, we, we like to put the Word of God in your hand. Uh, how many of you are ready to hear the Word of God today? There's, there's a few of you. I'm just warning you right now. Once we get going here, you may not be ready. You may say, He's setting us up today. I found out in life here that. Sometimes the Lord will stay after me in areas just to preach the word, and in this, what we're going to talk about today, uh, the Lord didn't say, I I give you the opportunity whether you want to do it or not, and so we'll talk about another area of social media today that's not always easy, but before we get going, uh, today is Palm Sunday, and so this is a big week. This was the day that uh, Jesus strolled in Jerusalem on the, the donkey. The people said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, 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 and so... Throughout the week, there were things that our Lord and Savior Jesus did. I welcome you on Wednesday night. We're going to come out and worship as we lead up to Resurrection Sunday, but also on Good Friday. So come out throughout the week. We pray Tuesday nights. We have our midweek service Wednesday. Then we're having a Friday night service and two Sunday morning. All right, a mouthful. I'm going to begin in Hebrews 13, and then we'll go to Ephesians chapter 5. You know, sometimes when we talk about things uh, in in life, people may have the thought, well, I I really don't like you getting into my business. Well, this morning, I'm not going to get into your business. I'm going to allow the Word of God to get into your business. And sometimes the Word of God will correct us. Sometimes the Word of God will rebuke us. But remember this, that the job of the Holy Spirit, according to John 16, he said, the Spirit of God would convict us of sin. Now, the word integrity... Uh, it can look like this. What do I do or who am I when no one else is looking or who no one else sees what I'm doing? And we live in a very secretive society now because of the internet, because of social media things that you can begin to look at things that no one else will know you're looking at. And every one of us have this same temptation. You know, I saw the other day where it says that 67% of young men And 49% of young women now view pornography as acceptable. Two out of every three young men and one out of every two young women. And so what not long ago was viewed as as wrong is now viewed as as tolerated and accepted. But that still doesn't make it right just because times have changed. Morals haven't changed And God's word hasn't changed. And so when we go into the Bible and we see God identifies this as sin, I must view it as sin. And many right now, when you use the word of sin, they say, man, that's not politically incorrect. Well, again, I I must call sin what God calls it. So we begin in Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all. And the bed or the marriage bed is undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Now those are interesting statements. The message said that God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. In other words, don't cross the line. And I can't give in to it because of political or social pressures, okay? Okay. And we can't redefine what God said in His Word, even though we live in a sex-driven society. I mean, all you've got to do is look at all the pornography, the cyber sex, the chat rooms. And many of those things seem very innocent, but they're not. And so these are words that sometimes anymore we don't hear. The word fornication actually means that if you're not married and you're having sex, you're a fornicator. The word adulterer here means that if you're married and you're having sex with anybody but your spouse, you're an adulterer, okay? Now this is the way God set it up right here, and so I gotta get to a place in my life where I say, you know what? That's the word of God. I'm not gonna allow society to redefine in my life what Father God said. So I gotta really, really begin to look at this and I gotta begin to receive it. Now, some of you will remember just, just a couple years ago, this online uh, site that was called Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison was very, very secretive. It was real closed where, where no one would know what you were doing. Two years ago, the theme of Ab- Ashley Madison was this, life is short, have an affair. What a thought, huh? Life is short, have an affair. So let me say, what a thought. Let me back up and say, what a sick thought. For people to begin to think in line with that. Last year, the theme was this. Find your moment. Find your moment. Well, if I don't guard against these two things right here that he's talking about, I'm going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble. No matter who we are. You're going to see this morning that not one of us in this room is exempt from this, okay? I knew there'd be a lot of amens this morning. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And again, when I preach on this, guys, I'm not throwing stones at anything or anybody. Just got to get the truth out. And I will tell you this. How many of you have ever played tug of war with God? Where God would say, you're going to do this. And I'd pull back and say, no, Lord, I don't want to do that. Well, I will tell you this, when I speak on stuff like this, man, my my flesh cringes. There's one side of me that says, oh, Father, God, I don't want to speak on these things. But yet again, this is part of the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. The word imitators mean follow Him or actually copy Him. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, as an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So when he talks about verse 2, it's concerning one's witness and one's worship. Once I get born again, I'm to be a witness for the kingdom of God. I'm to stand out. I'm not called to blend in. And then I am to give God my worship. I ought to be giving him the, the sweet smelling aroma the, aroma, the fragrance of the first fruits of my day. So he gets into that. Now, watch how he shifts back in verse three. But fornication, sexual immorality, and uncleanliness, impurity, or, impurity, or covetousness, which is greed. Let it not even be named among you as fitting or proper for saints. So he said your life shouldn't be marked as that as a fornicator. Your life shouldn't be marked with impurities. Your life shouldn't be marked with greed. You know what the issue with greed is? I can never get enough. And so he's telling me and you as a Christian, as a Christian, this should not even be the way your life is defined. Verse four. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. Now I can do every bit of that online now, just through a uh, uh, Facebook, I can do it through texting, but literally the best translation I found said, "Don't, don't have dirty or filthy or, or uh, smooth talk. Don't do that." And he goes on to say this which are not fitting, but rather give thanks, the dialect of of thanks instead of obscenities. Verse 5, now pay real close attention to his words here. For this you know, that no, 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 no fornicator, no unclean, unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has any, 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 any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and the God. So a strong warning right here from the Lord. And he's saying this, I, I can't flirt with lust. The three that he named, fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness, those are sins of indulgence. Those are sins of my flesh. And he said, don't even let it be known uh, named among you. So I can't flirt with lust, and I can't think that this won't lead to destruction. This is all a trap. And so in our society, we have this thought, you can look, you can look, you can look, you can look. You just can't touch. And what's wrong with a little glance here, a little glance there, a little click there, a little click here. And I see how close I can come to trouble without crossing the line. Do you know that's human nature? To see how close we can get to the line without crossing it. See what I can get away with without getting in trouble. And so that even pertains today to the area of social media. You go online and you begin to look at images. And we have the thought that those images I'm I'm looking at, they're innocent. There's no harm in those. You're going to find out this morning there's incredible harm with what I allow my eyes to see. And if we think we can go on Facebook... And and rehook with our old high school boyfriends or girlfriends. And it's not going to cause issues. You're opening the door to many things that I don't believe we want to open to. Any of us in here. You know in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6.18. The apostle Paul said this. He said flee youthful lust. The word flee there literally means to shun it. To run from it. To get away from it. Don't entertain it. Flee from it. What a strong warning. Flee youthful lust. Now I know there's a lot of youth in here today. The reason he says flee youthful lust. That if I don't allow youthful lust. To come after me and I give into them as a youth. Then I never have to battle them or close the door to it. But if you open up your heart to these in your teenage and your youthful years, there's a good chance you're going to battle it the rest of your life. Now, I'm not talking from a guy who hadn't experienced those things. I failed miserably morally as a teenager. I don't say this with great honor. I say this with great pain. I was a fornicator. I caused incredible pain. And don't look at the way I am now and say, well, he did all that and he got away with it. Look how he turned out. Guys, I left a trail of pain, okay? And so if this helps any of you young ones today, heed this. Flee youthful lust. Well, pastor, what if I'm not a youth anymore? Jesus still is in the business of setting people free. Jesus will help us. Go with me to the book of Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter number 11. Again, I want you to know I'm not casting stones. I will not do that. I'm not speaking from a judgmental or critical way. But I do believe the way our society is going and is heading right now, we've we got to get this. We've got to get a hold of this in our own lives and in our homes stuff is dangerous. Social media is crazy. I don't know if you read the paper yesterday. Me and Shelly were reading it. And there was an 11-year-old boy. 11! He had a 13-year-old girlfriend. And on social media, they staged that she committed suicide. He sees this on social media and he freaks out. And you know what he does? He hangs himself. Literally. And so when I see this on the social media stuff, it's something that I believe is, is is the point where it can be a huge blessing or it can be a huge curse for every one of us. Luke 11, verse 33. No one, ooh, you may highlight that, no one, none of us, when he has lit a lamp, he puts it in a secret place. Or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may get the light. In other words, man, when we receive the light of salvation, the Lord Jesus, we're called to shine. We're called to be the salt of the earth, is what he's telling us. Verse 34. The lamp of the body is the eye. The lens of the soul is the eye. Now, if I get this, this is Lord Jesus' words. He tells me. This is the gateway to the flesh right here, our eyes. Let me ask you this. When you see images with your eyes, what does it do to you? So you got to ask yourself, what does it do to you? Does it put in your memory bank? Does it get down in your heart? And it can be things that maybe it's a movie, maybe it's the past, maybe it's it's Pictures. So again, he's telling us right here how powerful our eyes are. Keep reading. Therefore, when your eye is good, when your eye is sound, when your eye is clear or healthy, your whole body will be full of light because of what I put before my eyes. But when your eye is bad or your eye is evil, unhealthy or not sound... Watch this. When your eye is bad, your body also will be full of darkness. Now it's interesting. It comes to what I allow my eyes to see. What I put before my eyes. Verse 35. Therefore take heed that that the light which is in you is not darkness. And the darkness arises from error, ignorance, disobedience, and rebellion. That's what that's talking about when I I rebel against the things of God, sometimes it's because we think I'm exempt from it. You know, I can look at images online and it doesn't affect me. Don't kid yourself. Verse 36. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. So to a degree, the Lord's saying right here, Maybe we ought to check our vision. Maybe we ought to check our spiritual vision. Now, here's a question I want to ask you here today. How many of you know what areas in your life you have weaknesses? How many of you know what your vulnerabilities are? How many of you know in areas of your life that you've stumbled before? I do. I know those areas. Understand this. The devil doesn't attack your strengths. He comes after your weaknesses. He comes after the areas that we're vulnerable in. And so one of the problems in our society right now is we've gotten where we're very, very secretive. It's very easy to go online and look at things and nobody knows. So what would happen to each one of us if we had to be held accountable to somebody? What would happen if I had to give a detailed list of every phone call I made, every text I text, every click I clicked? Would that not change the way I did things? I believe it wouldn't. I believe it's the power of accountability that every one of us in here, we need someone to hold us accountable at times. Not to beat us up, not to get in into our business, but to say, I love you, I don't want that to happen. And so a a strong, strong warning here. You know, years ago now, I had a lady in the church and she came to me and she said, Pastor, she said, every time I go into my bedroom and my husband's on the computer, when I walk in, he clicks it off. And if I ask him for the password, he won't give it to me. I want you to think about that in your life. If every time you went into your home, your spouse turned off the computer. Said, nope, you can't look at my password. What does that do to you? I'll tell you what it does to me. It shoots up a red flag immediately. something's not right here. And so in this man's situation, I asked him about it. And his his remark was, well, pastor, I, I think the things that are before my eyes are harmless. I don't think it will affect me emotionally. They're divorced. Because a man would not become accountable to someone in his life to say, I need you there. And maybe that may be coming to men's groups. Maybe some of the women's Bible studies to get around people that'll say, man, I love you enough to tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth does hurt, but oh, it's powerful to live this way. And over the years... I've never seen a human being stumble into being holy or righteous. In other words, to be a man or woman of integrity and, and be humble and holy, it doesn't just happen. You have to do that intentionally. But every day I see people fall into sin. Why? It's easy to sin. Very easy. Go with me to the book of Second uh, Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, the reason I'm going to this passage is I believe every one of us in this room, at times in our life, we have biblical heroes. The guy I'm fixing to read about is a man named King David. How many of you in here would say, man, that's one of your favorite biblical heroes? That's one of mine. I I love the stories of King David. The Bible specifically says he was a man after God's own heart. King David was. Now, as I read this passage here, I want you to see this, I believe, is a wake-up call to every one of us. Because, again, this may be the greatest king that ever lived in Israel besides Jesus, okay? So we start 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. And it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. So what did it tell me in the spring of the year that kings were supposed to do? They were supposed to go out to battle. That David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon. And they besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So right here, and instead of going where he was supposed to go, David didn't go. And so the very men that I believe to a degree held him accountable... It said, Joab and his servants, they're no longer with him. So now, you know what King David has done? He's isolated himself. There's many, even within the church, that isolate themselves. We slip in and we slip out, and no one ever even knows we're here. Something happens when there's ones that hold me accountable. So in King David's life, I look at that and I think, did he his, did he disassociate with the very men that would hold him accountable? And if he would have gone or where he would have, was supposed to be, would this tragedy have happened? I don't believe he would abandon his purpose. But again, because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Keep reading verse 2. Then it happened one evening. I don't know if he was bored. I don't know if he was on Ashley Madison and was just trying to find his moment. But just one evening, watch. One evening, seemed innocent. That David arose from his bed and he walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw. From the roof, he saw. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. The power again of my eyes. Now, let me just throw this out for you. With, with that statement right there, he saw. Forever, I believe, the weakness of man has been the woman's body. Well, pastor, I disagree with you. Well, if that wasn't true, then why is the pornography industry over a billion dollar industry every year? Because the makers of that filth, they know the power of the eye. And they know what happens when women are presented before a man. Any man. Okay? we well, it got quiet in here, didn't it? Lord, you need to help me here, okay? (laughs) Help me. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Okay? So all of a sudden, a night that seemed very innocent, you watch how it begins to change and how it begins to play out. So we go to verse 3. So David sent and he inquired. David sent and he inquired. Now, when it says he inquired, a modern day we inquire we is, we get on our computer. A modern day we inquire is is Snapchat. A modern day we inquire is sexting. Well, pastor, everybody's doing it. I'm going to tell you, if you watch what can happen right here, Man, i got to put a guard on my heart. So it said, so David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, thank God there was a someone who stood up and said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite?' stupid? Stupid's not in there. I added that. Okay. Someone said, so when you look at this, this someone was basically saying to King David, King David. Don't do it. Number one, you're married. And number two, he identified Bathsheba as the wife of Uriah. So literally he's saying to him, King, you're going to get into a place called adultery. Now listen, the thing about sexual sins, sexual sins are the only sins that it says it defies a man from the inside. In other words, something starts happening on the inside. I I think what it is, we literally will die from the inside out when you start doing these things. And again, I'm not exempt. You're not exempt. King David wasn't exempt. Verse 4. Oh, I wish this story ended great. Then David sent messengers and he took her. And she came to him and lay with her. Whew. A man after God's own heart. He wasn't exempt. He got sidetracked. And here's the end result sin never says what it really is. Sin never says, this is the outcome, okay? Sin is just for a a moment, just for a time. And so I don't believe David got up that morning and said, you know what? I think today I'm going to get into adultery. I think today I'm going to wreck my life. I think it today that I'm going to destroy Bathsheba. Uriah will ultimately die. And the little baby that she gets pregnant with, he'll die. See, none of us when we go into this ever think this is going to happen. But to me, King David is saying right here, wake up. Because just one bad choice in this stuff can mess up your whole life. Can mess up your marriage. Mess your kids up. It can ruin your witness, your testimony, and your reputation. Just like that. Will God forgive you? Yeah. Ultimately, David repented and God forgave him. But the mess, the damage had been done. See, we live in a society where every one of us in this room, whether it was me or you or someone within our family or a friend, has gotten over into sexual sin. How many of you witnessed the pain from it? Every one of us. I have people come to the office and say, Pastor, you got to do this and you got to do this. And I look and say, I'm not God. If we'll heed these things, and keep getting around godly people and saying, man, this is what's going on. So where our society goes is this. We quit guarding the guarded, the unguarded moments. We have the thought that Christians are exempt. I'm going to tell you right now, the devil will come after you. He will deceive you just like he did Adam and Eve in the garden. And this is a big problem in our society. People say this, well, Everybody's doing it. Life short, have an affair. Ooh, think about all that. But you know what? The Lord Jesus in Matthew seven, he he dealt with the majority. Matthew seven verse thirteen and fourteen, he said this: "There's two gates. There's two roads." Narrow is the road that leads to life, but few are on it. But wide is the road, or broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, or the majority, is on it. So now in my life, I've got to choose, okay, do I want to live the road that leads to life? Because if I do, I'm going to have to go against the flow of our society. And for me to go against the flow of the society, I may be ridiculed. I may be persecuted. I applaud young ones right now who live for God. I applaud you. I applaud you ones who stand up in your your junior highs and high schools. I applaud you to say, you know what? I don't care what everybody else is going to do. I'm going to be godly in an ungodly high school. I'm going to be godly in an ungodly world. I do. I, if you stood up, I would, appla- I would give you a stand. Bless you. Turn to with me the book of Titus, chapter 2. You say, Where's Titus? Right before Hebrews, right after 2 Timothy. Titus, chapter 2. As you're turning there, another one of my Bible favorites was a man named Joseph, a teenager. This is Genesis 39, and there was a woman, that was Potiphar's wife. She, she tried to seduce him. She went after him day after day after day after day. And finally, when it became so intent, you know what the Bible said he did? He ran. He took off. He fled. And I believe that must be our, our sign, too. That there's times I, I gotta run from that. I gotta flee from that. And if you've ever opened the door to, to sexual immorality, you repent of it. And then you ask God to help you. And I believe the majority of our society has given into this stuff. And so in my own life, I have to become very guarded, incredibly guarded. I'm very careful with what movies I ever watch. My wife always has free pass to my phone. If she was to pick my phone up right now, I wouldn't say, what do you think you're doing? Everything in my life becomes an open book because I've got to be held accountable. One of my favorite pastors that's alive right now that really speaks into my life is a a man named Robert Morse. Years ago, Robert Morse got into sexual sin, removed him for quite a long time from the ministry, years before God restored him. And he said, one of the ways I finally got free from it is he said, I looked at my wife one day and he said, honey, I got to tell you something. And she said, what? And he said, I got a problem with lust. And you know what she said? I know. But she said, I want to help you. I want to help you. He's still married. He's blessed, blessed, blessed. And so i you can be blessed. You can live that way. But man, we all need someone to hold us accountable. If you're isolating yourself, you're going to get in trouble. It never blows me away when people come up to me and say, Pastor, i got problems with sexual sin. I don't look at them and stomp my foot and say, Come on, get it together, Stupid. It's real to us. It's the the world we live in right now. And so many times I ask, what can I do? Tell me what you want me to do. And I have men that will walk by me and say, Pastor, I want you to hold me accountable. And what that means when they walk by me, and I look at them and say, tell me how you've been doing. Sometimes they'll duck their head, and I'll say, you know, in in Proverbs 24, it says a righteous man will fall seven times, but he's going to keep getting back up. See, the only time we lose is when we fail to get back up. Some of you got to get back up today. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For, that word for there introduces to the basics of proper conduct. For the grace of God, thank God for his grace. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Literally what this is telling us here, that God is always ready to save us. And God is already ready to forgive you. That's the grace of God. He saves us by His grace, and He forgives us by His grace. But in order for that to happen, someone's got to act on the Word. And that means I come before God and I say, Oh, Father God, I ask You to send Your Son, Lord Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And then I say, Father God, for me to act like You desire me to act, Oh, i got to have Your grace. i got to have Your grace. If it wasn't for the grace of God, you couldn't whip this. If you didn't need the grace of God, why'd Jesus come? But I can tell you right now, I thank God for His grace every day. Father God, grace my eyes. Grace my heart today. So He says all that, and and I believe verse 11, guys, shows there's a close relationship between right living and right believing. Well, I'm saved. I didn't say you're saved. I didn't say you're not saved. But there's something happened that when I get born again, my life ought to begin to change. Where people begin to say, there's something different about you. Now it gets real deep right here in verse 12. It takes us to the deep end. Teaching us or admonishing us that denying, renouncing, rejecting... Ungodliness and worldly lusts. Now, he wouldn't tell us to deny ungodly and worldly lusts if it wasn't possible. But the possible in this is saying, I'll grace you. I'll grace, I want to help you. Just as you asked me to save you, ask me to grace you in this area against ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly. That word soberly there means in a responsible manner. Or being self-controlled. Woo, I welcome. I welcome the anointing of soberly today, Father God. I welcome that. He goes on to say, this is powerful. We should live soberly, righteously, upright, and godly. In the present age. In the present age. What would the present age be right now? So what he's telling me and you that with the grace of God, I can live godly in an ungodly world. Not when I'm going to get to heaven, but right now. And I say, Oh, Father God, I welcome that. I welcome that into my life. What about you? I don't want, I don't want to be dominated by my flesh. I've been there before. I saw where it got me. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com